Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Unplugged Podcast by the Athlete Tech Group. I'm your host, Randy Osei, and we are here today with co-founder and CEO of Nakri, Jay Ansari, and former CFL player and lead of HR Solutions, Maurice Forbes. Nakri provides an AI-powered self-assessment screening software for companies looking to streamline their interview processes. Jay Maurice, great to meet you. Thank you both for jumping on today's podcast. How are you guys? We're doing great, and thank you for having us, Randy. Yeah, Randy, doing, doing really awesome. Uh, happy to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, how have you guys been able to pivot during COVID personally and professionally? Uh, I think from, I mean, as a, as a technology company, I think for us, it wasn't a huge challenge in terms of just being able to like work from home, as you can imagine. Uh, but, you know, those first couple of months were definitely hectic and just getting used to working at home. I mean, on our team, and, you know, Maurice will, will probably agree with me that all the developers really enjoy working from home. They want to code at home. But, you know, Maurice, what would you say about being, you know, shifting over, coming from the office and then having to work from home and, and doing everything like that? Well, you know, the nature of our roles is a lot more social and connecting with um, people from other, other businesses and really um, sharing insights about their world, about our world. And for us, kind of being siloed to our homes for the first few months uh, was very challenging because now our ability to connect has been restricted. But funny enough, over time, it's, it's also kind of been a blessing because now it's almost broadened um, our ability to connect. A lot more people are home, so Zoom meetings are... are um, being conducted more often and now we're able to just connect with people from all different um, parts of the globe. But for, for me personally, I still miss the, the, the old school person to person engagement, um, you know, connecting with the sales team every day and kind of um, getting that person to person um, connection. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. You know, as a, as a people person myself, um, honestly, I could say I, I've missed it. And I can also say I don't miss it. You know, um, <laughs> the, 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 I think one of the biggest things with, with, you know, this, the staying at home is you, you realize you have a little bit more time, right? You don't have to sit in traffic for an hour to get to the office and deal with that morning commute. You don't have to, you know, for me, before going to the gym, if I, if I wanted to be at the office for 9 a.m., I'd have to go to the gym at 5, get home for 6, 6.15, 6.30, shower, eat something, answer some emails, get on the, get on the road at like 8.15, and then get to the office, office for 9. That's four hours. Now, I can get up at 7.30, work out from home, go for my run, back in at like 8.30, wash my face, shower get to work right away. So um, I think from, from that angle, it's, it's, it's been a blessing because you, you do get a little bit more time for yourself, which has been great. Um, 
I want to talk to you guys about, you know, the, the beginning, you know, I'd love for you guys to kind of give us a, a, a brief intro because you guys uh, had a relationship before you guys started working together at Knockery, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Take us through that. You know, where did you guys meet? How, how did you guys get to know each other? What were you guys into as, as, as young, young men? And uh, yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. So, you know, Maurice and I went to high school together. Uh, and it's funny because at that stage, we didn't know each other. But I knew about him because, you know, he was an athlete. And so, uh, and so, you know, Maurice was like quite a lot into like playing sports. I think I was just, just, just a regular, you know, sort of like, like person interested in like technology, I'd say, uh, you know, uh, and that was it. And then we like, we like reconnected uh, very like recently because of an introduction from, from one of my co-founders, but a bit of background, you know, I'll go into like Nokri is that about like four to like four and a half years ago, um, I was applying to jobs and, you know, I wouldn't hear back from employers because you guys know, like, I have a long ethnic name. It's, it's Jahan Zeban Sari. And so my co-founder at that time who got Maurice in touch with us, um, Maz, he's like, why don't you anglicize it, right? And we went from like a variation of like Jason, Jacob, Jordan, and like literally within four to six weeks, I got a job. And with that being said, we felt that there's so many people that are being overlooked unfairly on a global level that are applying to jobs and they're being discriminated against because of their name, their like gender, their race, their ethnicity. And we felt that there had to be a better solution. And that's where, when we created Nakri, which is an AI-based like skills assessment tool utilized in the hiring process by like companies such as, such as IBM, Novartis, League, Education First, to essentially screen out thousands of people applying. And so, uh, you know, on our mission of empowering the world with fair and equal opportunity, we like connected with like Maurice uh, and, and, you know, we felt that there was such a great match there. And I'll let like Maurice take it from here and, you know, how he actually heard about us and, you know, how, how we all started to work together. Yeah, it's, um, it's funny. It was um, some, somewhat by chance. So I actually helped them with some uh, promotional content for um, some, of the, some of the stuff they do, some of the visuals they were doing, some of the content. And through talking with Maz in between doing that stuff, we seen, he seen some of my work history um, and some of my school history, whether it was working in sales, whether it was going to school for HR, um, doing some HR tech sales in the past. And we were just got to talking. And through talking, we ended up realizing that we, we went to the same high school. So when I first got to the office, he's like, hey, you look familiar. And then later on in the conversation, he's like, 
we realized we both went to Rick Hansen and then we also shared a lot of mutual friends from the next school I went to when I left that school to play football. So from there, we see a synergy and alignment just in our ability to communicate, but also in uh, some, some of the experiences and, and the need that they had at Nakri, whether um, the need they had at Nakri to actually start the uh, scale up the, the sales process and, and they brought me on board. Is just a, a, an amazing coincidence, but it's almost like um, the, that unexplainable thing in life where like you get that delta and everything kind of was just meant to connect at, at, at that point in time. It was, it was, it was, very, it was a, it's a very funny and, and, um, and coincidental for any, for lack of a better word, um, experience but since since being at Nakri I really found my like almost true calling and purpose and and working a lot in diversity and inclusion especially in the climate um, that we're in today and then doing a lot more further research into like you know c-suite executive diversity and and hiring diversity and and some of the um, diversity inclusion challenges that are presented to both um organizations and employees it was like you know something kind of woke inside me almost like that same thing that you get when you're an athlete and you're um you're performing on stage it's like you know you you kind of get invigorated right right it's like your second wind almost. yeah exactly like fourth quarter 40 you've played 45 out of 48 minutes and something just comes over you and pushes you over the brink. Um, I, I totally understand. Now, I, I, I love how you guys have, you know, reconnected to, to help build this company and, and, and move it forward. I'd like to, you know, before you guys both got to, to Nakri, I know, you know, Maurice is a former CFL player. Uh, Jay was in the custom suit business. Um, what were let's talk about your transitions right so going from suits and you know fitting rooms and dress shoes and belts <laughs> um yeah helmets and shoulder pads and yelling fans and you know um and sports to tech and understanding you know customer acquisition and and so on and so forth Take us through your transition and what was that like for each of you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we got started, I think, back in 2013 because we saw we saw like a need in the market because a lot of our buddies at that time were were starting jobs and they wanted to wear suits and suits are expensive, right? Like especially custom tailored suits. So, you know, originally I'm from Pakistan and so what we did is that I had two other co-founders uh, and Maz, who's actually a co-founder in Nakri as well, was a co-founder in the last suit business too. And so three of us from high school got together and we created Darzi. Uh, it was, you know, we started off like initially hustling, um, you know, and like doing it out of my sister's condo, like wow. in the, in the, in the little, um, in those little like, you know, like, uh, those like private rooms that you could just book for like half an hour. 
uh, to just have like a coffee meeting. That's how we started it off. And just so, you know, garnered some more interest and then spoke to our buddies and, you know, really got them to like the product, established, um, you know, manufacturing in Pakistan. Um, and then, you know, to like keep our labor costs extremely cheap. Uh, mm -hmm. And so we learned like a lot about selling at that point to the average consumer uh, and really like understanding, uh, you know, like what, what what like product like resonates with a customer or not uh and i would say just a lot of the hustle uh and just a lot of just the hustle and the feedback that you know we like developed to take from the first business we applied that same thing in the second business and so like you know when somebody mm -hmm. asks me Oh, like, you know, like, like, what is it like, you know, you guys just raised like $3 million, like, you know, like, you know, you guys must have gone to like, so in schools, you know, like, or you must have done like, like X and Y course. And I just say to them, it's like, no, like, I would say there are two major things, which I see in like Maurice as well, um, is that you have to be a continuous like learner. I think that is the number one thing. And then like, secondly, just have an insatiable hunger to succeed. And I think like, if you're hungry and you're continuously like learning, no one can stop you. And so I think that those qualities were just like transferred over to, to when we started up the startup. Um, and, and, you know, that's, 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 uh, but what I would say is that it was a great learning experience. We were, we were on Bay street suiting up a lot of great people. Uh, but we just felt that like we, we wanted to do something on a larger scale, like that was a lot more scalable and with technology, you know, you just know, like, it's not like we're putting on a suit where we're like, we're like shipping product. Uh, or shipping like software all over the world with a click of a, of a button. So, you know, that was sort of the, the transition for myself. Absolutely. That's an amazing transition. And one thing that, you know, we, we hear about in your story is the mentality, right? The, the never give up, the um, hard work, grind. Uh, and I'm sure Maurice can, could, could speak to, you know, discipline and focus and energy, you know, uh, being a, a, an athlete, I'm sure you're used to waking up at 6am. Yeah. Being an entrepreneur, I'm sure you're used to waking up at 5.55am, right? Because you, you got to finish that proposal or that deck. Um, Maurice, would love to hear about your transition mm -hmm. um, from being a pro athlete yeah. to uh, working in the tech scene. Yeah, uh, just first, it's funny. Um, just wanted to speak on we had we had a very very similar schedule prior to covid waking up i think uh Jahanzim knows knows it pretty well because i'd wake up early, like early in the morning wake up 5 30 go to yeah. the gym uh get a workout in and then head over to um downtown on on the go bus and yeah. if i didn't have the the skills and the habits built from being an athlete I definitely would not be able to to do that. And for me, I, I loved it. It was it was, it was very it was such a a close. Um, it, uh, it just lined up very closely to my previous schedule as an athlete. But 
to get into um, my transition and um, to Nakri going from being an athlete into being into HR tech, um, it, was, it was a very long road. Being an athlete, there's a lot of ups and downs, a lot of mental challenges and hurdles. And to um, compound that professionally and then to compound that with things that go on uh, personally, for me, um, that transition from going from college to university um, was, was a big, big thing. And then having knee injuries in university, I tore both my ACLs. I, I grinded to get into the CFL because I lost a lot of exposure because those things happened my second and third year. I wasn't able to go to like, you know, Shrine Bowls or the All-Star Games, which is usually held for seniors because I lost my, my second and third year. <clears throat> so I had like no real exposure. Um, had to do grind. I actually left school, moved back home to train full time just in case if I, I got a shot to, to audition for a team or get brought in as a free agent. But luckily, there were, I, luckily, you know, I mean, luckily for me, I guess uh, someone was injured at the combine and I was presented an opportunity to show my stuff and I was able to get drafted 13th overall. Those knee injuries, unfortunately, carried with me to um, the professional realm and my, in, my career was cut short. So there was a huge challenge trying to figure out who I was and what I wanted to do because so much of my identity was attributed to being an athlete waking up every day, having that, that one focus, that's that, that grind, even though I was able to juggle a hundred things, whether it was school a job and, and football, um, really it was, it was easy because it was the main focus was football and everything fell into place after that. It was, you know, it's, it's easier to manage it when you have prior, like a, a, a set in stone list of priorities, you know? Yep. So when I lost that, um, I went through like this, this big phase of trying to find myself, find what I'm interested in, try to transition out of being an athlete because that's just who I was. I, um, because of the knee injuries, I was inspired to be, be to go into like physiology and, and, and learn about the human body and become a trainer. Uh, mostly for, for selfish reasons, because I wanted to learn how to, um, deal with with knee pain that I was inevitably going to be having over over my life, and um, that was the main focus. But funny enough, the I learned that a training job is not really just a training job. It's it's probably more of a sales job than it is a, tra- a sales and a marketing job than it is a, a training job. Like the training is the cherry on the top, but you got to be able to get clients. You got to be able to market yourself. You got to be able to talk to people. You got to be able to socialize. So as an athlete, as, as you know, probably most athletes are terrible at socializing, like outside of like, you know, their comfort zone. Right. right? Um, because just so laser focused on one thing, you usually interact with one group of people. So for me, I was forced to build that skill set, which leads to what I'm doing today. And then after being there, um, I was working in, um, I, I managed a gym and from managing a boxing gym and also competing in boxing a little bit on, on an amateur circuit, just um, I learned another skill set in terms of 
managing a business and managing people and setting up a, like a sales team and stuff like that. And all of those little experiences that I've collected over the last eight years culminated in that conversation with Maz and him kind of learning, okay, you did this, you did that, you did this, you did that. And learning some of um, my personal history with like, you know, my, I'm dealing with um, personal tragedy and loss with like my sister, like the knee injury, stuff like that. He was, he just said like, you know what? Um, I think that you're a type of guy that I want on my team, but I, I want, um, you to meet someone first and then we I got to meet Jahan Zabe and you know we we had a talk and I think more than anything they like uh, you know my character my my habits the the way I, I, I approach life and everything and um, they understood that this is a little bit of a new realm for me but because of my ability to be gritty my ability to be perseverant they they brought me on because they felt like I I could um, swim in the, in the situation and uh, for me it's it is funny it was very similar to being an athlete because um, so because of I, I, because I was brought on right at the onset of COVID a lot of the growth and development I had to to do that through either Zoom meetings with Jahanzib and Maz, but also to put in a lot of personal time myself offline, reading books, um, reading articles, talking to other friends that are in um, similar spaces to get, you know, some of those, those pro tips, those vet tips, and um, to kind of build myself up. So, so many transferable skills from being an athlete to whatever the, um, my eight year journey from, from being in the CFL to where I am now, um, that's that's how I got here. Amazing, amazing, great stories, guys, great stories, and I think it's it's stories like this um, that inspire other entrepreneurs, that inspire investors, that inspire um, different people, and and draw people towards you because it's relatable, right? Um, I. I Seeing that, you know, you guys have, 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 have both gone through, you know, some kind of hardship to get where you are today and, you know, the, the, the growth of Nokri, um, I, I want to, you know, take a deep dive into Nokri as a, as a company and as a technology. Um, first and foremost, you know, how does Nokri work and why should people use it? So, so Nokri, the way, the way it works is that, that, organizations utilize us as that first knockout like like right after that first knockout criteria in the hiring process so like think about like video interviews but just automated in the initial like part of the hiring process so let's take uh you know ibm as an example on a yearly basis they get thousands of consultants applying and so what they do is that they use Nokri to, to assess the skills of candidates through short video questions in the, in the early parts of the hiring process. And so, so as a candidate, you'd, you'd apply online and then you would get sent over, you know, a link to, to do three to five short video questions 
and then the employer would call you in for a job interview. That's what Nokri is in a nutshell. But what we're able to do is that we've made sure that everyone is looked at fairly. So like, you know, they're not looking at your name, your, your like resume. They're actually looking at the skills that you present because, because skills are a leading indicator of success predictors on the job role. So that's number one, obviously. And the value proposition that we're providing to organizations is being able to increase the gender and racial diversity in the shortlisted candidates. So, so what we have proved out is that customers in the past that were hiring from the same pool of applicants because of a, a broken hiring system, they saw with Notri, they saw an increase of 25% in, in racial and gender diversity when they were hiring. And we also improved the quality of hire as well. So like really making the case that, hey, hey, like we're not just helping you screen and shortlist more diverse candidates. These are, these are actually like better performing candidates that you were unfortunately like missing out on because of a broken hiring process. Um, and that's a, you know, and that's a huge value for a lot of these organizations. Absolutely. Especially uh, with the current climate, right? You know, the, the, the Canadian government recently just came out and put out a loan for, for, for black entrepreneurs. Um, the systemic racism and um, the inequalities and the biases and, and things like that. I think it sounds like Nakri is going to change the world, especially, you know, both of you gentlemen being people of color, I'm a person of color. Um, you talked about, you know, how you got your job um, and you changed your name in, in, in two weeks. How crazy that is um, that, you know, you went through it. And I'm sure there's tons of entrepreneurs that are listening to this right now um that have have experienced it that you're like yeah no i'm overqualified for for that position i'm gonna get it and then you don't get the job and you don't know why right um very very powerful and impactful and i i absolutely love that now when did you realize the idea for for knockery was officially going from just an idea to a real product and then to an actual real business yeah so that's a great question um that's a great question. So I think like we figured this out by speaking to customers. And so, you know, like initially when we were, we were out in the market, we were like a mobile app. We were like, we were trying to build out just, just a mobile app for like hiring instead of like a web app. Right. And so we initially were like, oh, you know, this, this app is going to change the world. Employers are, are going to hire from this app and all that great stuff with these, with these dreams, right? And very quickly, they were shattered because we learned that unless you have a big candidate pool, no employer like really cares about using your app. And so what we saw is that like 
a lot of organizations already receive thousands of candidates just applying and to get a job there. And so we said, how can we leverage their existing like flow of candidates that are eagerly applying and just be a filter there, right? And once we positioned ourselves in that way and we started to pitch Knockery again to customers um, and we got a paid like pilot. I think that was a pivotal moment getting like a paid pilot from a large organization who's paying us to just like, to like run a test. And we said, we're on to something. And then once we proved out the success criteria and they were extremely happy and they signed a multi-year deal with us. And that's when we're like, oh, okay guys, we've really built something now and we can like grow this. But we really took a lot of that customer feedback and left that ego out of the way that like, you know, I think what's so important is just like learning from what the customer is saying to you. Because at the end of the day, if you just try to like build something out with the assumption that, oh, you build it and it's gonna sell, it, it, it like rarely happens. The, the best approach that, you know, we saw to like materializing from an idea to an actual like business. It's just listening to the customers like problems and building a product around that uh, and which, which they would like pay us for. Wow. Wow. Is it safe to say that your company is a strong ambassador? Well, it is safe to say that your company is a strong ambassador when it comes to diversity, not just in the workplace, but in general, overall. What do you think the pandemic uh, has done for the world when it comes to the importance of diversity in the workplace? So the pandemic and you know the murder of, of George Floyd, so on and so forth. Yeah, so I mean, COVID has... First of all, I was just going to slightly backtrack and say like COVID has undoubtedly, you know, exposed a lot more of the, the, the segregation that, you know, there still exists within the society and the level of like discrimination and, and you know, disparity among the races. Uh, you know, especially, um, especially in, in, in North America, you know, like a region where we thought that, you know, or a lot of folks think that it's been figured out, right? And it's not. And so like what we've seen from like a business standpoint is a huge uptick in organizations trying to reach out to us and really try to like solve this problem. But a lot of them like still don't have it like really figured out because they're trying to focus on quotas um, and, 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 you know, and, and they still need a, a lot of guidance. And, you know, Maurice can probably talk for that because he deals with them on a day-to-day -day basis. And I'd love for, for your thoughts as well on this. Yeah. Um, definitely the pandemic has exposed a lot of um, weak areas and that companies have either tried like band-aid solutions to solve 
or kind of just overlooked over the years. And diversity inclusion is definitely top of mind. Um, Future proofing the workforce and like being able to um, do remote hiring stuff is another, but we can leave that one on the shelf. But um, as far as diversity inclusion, um, what happened uh, south of the border, you could really see that I wouldn't even necessarily say the companies, but more the employees were really looking at the organizations at which they worked with or worked for and said, hey, how much do you guys care about us? Because, you know, this is a global organization that houses and um, employs people of many different cultures and nationalities. And right now this is an issue that's going on in the world that has been going on in the world for, for, for the entirety of our lives, ancestors and ancestors lives. And you know what? Um, we don't feel that you care about us enough right now. And really talking to diversity and inclusion leaders of the organizations, you really seen that um, some that may come from more homogeneous areas of um, the country where most people look the same, finally having these tough conversations with their employees, they're like, oh, wow, things are, are not as, as good as we thought they were. Or, oh, wow, the, the town hall meetings or some of these um, little workshops, uh, they're not working as well because realistically, this is a, a, a challenge that isn't going to get solved with a silver bullet. It's, it's something that is going to continuously need um, new solutions, new ways to um, overcome it. And for us at Nakri, I think we found a nice little um, way of using technology for good to help um, reduce that bias and really help um, organizations in their diversity inclusion transformation. Yeah, and another thing I just wanted to add to that is that like, you know, we are like, when we really like think about ourselves is that we are a, a Canadian social enterprise that's essentially trying to like reduce adverse impact and 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 like really make sure that we can you know bridge that gap within the workforce of like racial and gender minorities that have been overlooked and so for even like one person if we can improve that that's a huge like win for Nakri. and that and that and and you know being on a mission that is actually helping people and not just creating like a solution to make money gives us a lot of satisfaction on a day-to-day -day basis as we come into work as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So a lot of the things that I'm hearing are, you know, building solutions for people, not necessarily building a business to make money. It's more so um, building solutions for people. Now, you know, as a, as a company and as a brand, you guys have, have, have done a, a lot of great work in, in being featured in media. Uh, I believe Forbes was one. Um, 
media publication you guys were a part of. Um, for mm-hmm. entrepreneurs that are that are you know listening, what are some of the, the, the some of the secret sauces that you could possibly share with our entrepreneurs in getting featured in so many different places? And why should an entrepreneur care about being featured and shared uh, through media? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, number one, I'd say is that we, you know, initially when we were starting off, like I'll be honest, we had no money. Uh, and so we were pretty like damn broke. And so we could just hustle and, and like, you know, part of the hustle for us is like, how can we establish legitimacy, right? When you don't have any brand recognition, you don't have a lot of money. It's not like I can pay like a marketing agency. So we just learned over Google, over YouTube on how to pitch to like journalists. And so like, you know, once you can get the hang of that, and really get them to understand the problem that you're trying to solve. Um, you know, they're eager to cover you as long as it's like something that 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 is uh, going to help the world, right? And so we initially like started off with Huffington Post, and then we got into the CBC, and then we got into Daily Mail, and then at the World Economic Forum, and then Forbes, and. And what this like really does is that it establishes you as a thought leader and not just some other like startup that is, you know, trying to sell a large organization an HR solution. But secondly, from a business standpoint, it significantly subsidizes your sales and marketing cost. So if you're going out there, you know, and, and press is like featuring you and to have a huge reach, right? Let's see, we were featured on CBC's National. And when that went out overnight, we didn't spend a single dollar. It's just the hustle of trying to get to the journalist. And once that featured overnight, there's so many leads that we got in. So that really helped us like subsidizing our, our sales pipeline. And like once we closed some of those customers, you know, it was such a great feeling that we generated, you know, our own leads that were like featured for free and we closed that customer. So, so I, I would say, A, it really like legitimizes you and B, like most importantly, uh, it, it, it helps you like subsidize your, your, your like sales and marketing. I love that. I never looked at it like that. Subsidizing your sales and marketing through media. Um, and you also talked about thought leadership. I think for a brand, you know, thought leadership uh, provides a lot of trust for customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it builds confidence in customers. It builds a lot of connections as well. And very, very important in, in building a brand. You, you want people to not only enjoy the logo and colors and um, so on and so forth. You, you want people to perceive it a certain way. You want them to understand the tone, the voice, the likeness, so on and so forth. Um, now, your journey uh, as, a, as a company, you know, as, as individuals, as entrepreneurs, 
has so many different elements and, and key takeaways that a lot of entrepreneurs should be paying attention to. For anyone who's looking to start their own business, what advice would you give them in starting their own business? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this is a, it's just like a really, um, I love this question actually. And so th this is like, I've like wrote an article on like Forbes about this and it's titled forget about plan B if you want your startup to succeed. And so some of the things that I've learned, like number one is that, is that you ideally wanna solve a problem that either you've experienced or, or the world is experiencing that you're passionate about. Because, because oftentimes like motivation, you know, it, it can like come and go. But if your why in solving your problem is like big enough, then you'll do whatever it takes to like succeed. Because you know, reality is, you know, we all see a lot of like a lot of glamour, like whether it's with tech startups or, you know, with athletes, such as, you know, as similar to what like Maurice was talking about. But the amounts of ups and downs are so many that you need a strong why to like continue. And I'd say that, you know, the way like I treat it is like, you gotta do things uh, like, you know, as if, you're, as if your life depends on it basically. Like, like back in the days when, and I'm talking about like in the 14th century, when an army general had to take over a, an island, they used to get their men to burn their own boats. So they have no choice. They can't go back anymore. They have to do whatever it takes to like take over. And so you gotta be willing to, to essentially like, you know, be in a position of like living, living and dying. And I know like that sounds, that sounds extreme, but if you go in it with that mentality, you'll do whatever it takes to like succeed. And I think that is such a huge component. Um, and I think the other like one part is, is, you know, just make sure that you're choosing like your right business partners, or in my case, like the right co-founders, because that matters a lot. Like really understand how you guys like work with each other uh, and ideally like know, know each other for, you know, a bit of time because that like really helps because it's it's a long-term relationship right and when things are rosy things are going to seem fantastic but things things like they won't be rosy and so you have to like really learn on how each of you operate when when you know things aren't good at all um and just you know lose the ego and really be open to just continuously learning i would say that is such a huge component. Like we've had so many roadblocks, so many roadblocks. Like, I mean, like we didn't have money initially. Uh, we were gonna go broke in the middle. Like there's been so many parts. And if we didn't learn very, very quickly from like, you know, just like, like either just like reading off, off the internet, speaking to like, you know, an advisor or ideally like somebody who's done it and who's just like one step ahead of you, 
if you can take your feedback and just lose the ego and learn from that, it, it makes such a huge difference. And I would say that is one of the, like the big reasons why we were able to raise $3 million. It's just, it's just like learning from our mistakes and just quickly adapting and then, and then going back at it. And, and in this case, you know, Maurice, he's such a huge help as well. Cause like sometimes I, I get like stuck up on my failures. I'm like, Oh my God, man. Like, you know, why did that happen? And I think there was a term that I forgot, Maurice, if you can like bring that up and, you know, yeah. talk about that, that, that please as well. Mm -hmm. um, I think that um, as athletes, we all, it's like a, a cliche, a common term, right? Um, have a short memory. And why do you have a short memory? Because if you get bogged on, if you get bogged down on the mishap in a previous play, it's going to spill over into the next play, into the next play, and then you, you end up losing the game, right? Um, it's the same thing in your personal life, same thing in, 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 in the business world. Um, when certain glitches happen, when things don't go according to plan, maybe you lose a deal, maybe anything, it's best to have a short memory and, and to move on to the next one and to always, like, one thing we used to say on my old college football team is, is like, just stay, stay floating. Like, don't get too high with the highs. Don't get too low with the lows. Stay consistent. Have short memory. And you'll be able to, you know, overcome all challenges. And I think that um, as an athlete, that, that little mantra that I learned very early on is carried on, carried to every aspect of my life and really has helped me with overcoming any challenge that is um, presented to me. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. As a former non-professional athlete, I, I lived by that mantra, to be honest. Um, and, you know, I'll actually take the, the mantra a step further. Um, you know, it's important to have short-term memory loss when it comes to sports and entrepreneurship. Um, whether you made your last shot or even made or missed your last shot, move forward. Because if you get locked into, oh, I just made the last one or, you know, we just raised $3 million in your mind, oh, I can go and do that again. That wasn't easy. I mean, that wasn't hard. But if you have short-term memory loss, like, all right, we have to attack this like it's our first time raising money, right? So that's that mantra that you brought up, super important for any entrepreneur because we're going to mess up, period. Like, there's, mm -hmm. there's no way around it. You're going to lose money. You're going to overspend. You're going to hire the wrong people. You're going to, you know, have bad clients. These things are going to happen. But it's all about the bounce back. It's all about, you know, the short-term memory loss that Maurice uh, talks about. It's all about trying to avoid these mistakes, but also understanding and knowing that you're going to run into them. And it's never a loss or a, a failure. It's always a lesson. Like, all right, now I know we don't need to spend $15,000 a month on Google ads. It doesn't, it doesn't work for us. Let's find mm -hmm. out what works for us. Um, and, uh, you know, to, to, to wrap up with you guys, you know, you guys uh, talked about um, raising $3 million. Um, 
you know, walk us through that process. What was it like? You know, how long did it last? If there are any key investors that you could share with us that were a part of the round, um, walk us through that if you can, please. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, uh, it took about six months to like put this all together. Uh, and it was very difficult, like initially, but I think just, just learning from every pitch and every experience and having that short-term like memory loss was, I think, a key part of this. Um, and so this is, you know, essentially we've raised this to like grow our sales and marketing team and really like get Nokri in the hands of the entire world. Um, and, you know, some of the, uh, some of the investors that, that did participate were Mars from Canada, uh, Amplify Capital, uh, you know, Differential Ventures from New York, um, and then, and then a, 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 um, a large investor uh, who are called Bertelsmann Group out of Germany as well. So like really a very diverse um, set of investors that are aligned on our mission because I think that's a huge component. You don't like want people just to put in money. You want like people who know what you do. They like support your vision and are going to open up like a lot of doors for you. And I think that is like something that I really learned in the fundraising process. It's like, just don't take anyone's money. Um, like make sure that they're the right partners because they're going to be in this journey with you most likely for the next 10 years. 100%. 100%. No, you, you, you talked about taking money and a lot of entrepreneurs like, Oh yeah, let's just get a, you know, a VC to come in and invest and no. It, I think that strategy starts with your capital strategy, right? If you're thinking IPO exit, you're thinking VC. If you're thinking uh, private, um, you know, income, dividends, slow growth, more private equity, angel, friends and family, so on and so forth. The other thing you talked about was, you know, where are you taking money from? And you explain uh, the difference between smart money and dumb money, right? Dumb money yeah. being just money. Someone's just giving you money and you got to figure out what to do with it. Uh, smart money is, is the money that, that comes, but it also comes with experience. It also, it's like, it's like watching Shark Tank. Perfect example, right? That's mm -hmm. smart. Um, I remember I was watching, I watch it like almost every day, every other day. I just love hearing how deals are put together. And, you know, one of the things that one of the companies were, we're in the uh, beauty, the beauty, uh, the beauty space, and it was between Mark Cuban as an investor or one of the, the lovely ladies that were on the show. I couldn't remember. I think her name was Lori. Lori works in CPG and brands and the beauty space. So if I'm an if I'm an entrepreneur and I have an opportunity to raise three hundred thousand dollars for Mark Cuban or two hundred thousand dollars from Lori, who's in this space which investor makes more sense for my product and what I'm trying to do. It's obviously going to be Lori. And I think that's another mm -hmm. thing that a lot of in a lot of entrepreneurs also need to, to learn is money isn't just money. You know, an investor is going to come with their own terms. Like I want this money back mm -hmm. in two years. <laughs> that's pressure. That means you got mm -hmm. seven and 30 days to figure this thing out. Um, but you know, that's a conversation. Yeah. 
for, for another. No, and that's it. And you're right. And that's a huge part. And you know, what we've seen in the market is that there's a lot of folks that can be extremely like predatory. And so you want to stay away from them. You want to go with sophisticated investors who understand like what you're building and like, you know, and, and like, and how hard things can be. Uh, and they know the ups and downs. And ideally, it's like somebody who's been an operator themselves is going to truly understand these like pain points. And, and you can lean on them for like, you know, for like support. You can lean on them that they're going to understand what you're going through and not have unrealistic expectations. And that is so important because you don't want to like, in addition to trying to build a business, you don't want additional stress of trying to pay back your investors. Like that's a, like a huge added like stress as well. Right. So I think you raise a great point. Like Randy is that you have to be very like particular on who you take money from and not just from anybody. hundred percent, hundred percent to close. What can we expect from Noxby in the future? What do you think Maurice? I'm going to leave that. I'm, I'm going to start it off with you. Me? Um, well, what, you, what can, you can expect is us to build more partnerships across many different industries, but more importantly, um, really affect the diversity inclusion space and really show the world a, how technology can be used for good and how technology can be used to um, help m mitigate things like bias and how um, and how much we've just affected positive outcomes in that space. Love that. Yeah, yeah. I I would double down on that as well, and just say like, like, like really helping organizations move the needle on meaningful, like diverse outcomes, and not just just doing this for some quota that they're trying to fill, right? Like Maurice and I wanna you know, we want to make sure that with Nakri, an organization is not just like diverse, but they're also inclusive and that each and every single person that goes through the Nakri assessment has a fair shot. And if we can move that needle, even like 1% in our journey, like we'll be extremely happy. That's what it's all about. Growing. Growing and Absolutely. going, building. Um, gentlemen, Jay, Maurice, uh, Team Nakri, thank you guys so much for joining us today on another exciting episode of the Unplugged Podcast. Um, it, was, it was a pleasure to chat with both of you, learn more about your stories, learn more about you know, the growth of Nakri, learn more about how you guys are solving diversity problems in, in the workplace. Uh, it's a very, very important um, thing that's going on and uh, uh we look forward to seeing the growth and, and and having you guys at you know future summits and integrated into the ecosystem as we continue to build this thing out so thank you guys for joining us today thank you so yeah. much thanks for having us